Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month at patreon.greatdetectives.net. However, today our focus is on one-time donations. Uh, and I want to thank those who sent along one-time donations to support.greatdetectives.net. I want to thank Lewis for sending along a one-time donation through support.greatdetectives.net. You can also use the Zelle app to send to box13 at greatdetectives.net or by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, that's 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I also want to thank folks who sent along donations to our P.O. Box, Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. Thank you to Angela, to Francis, and to Gary. Thank you so much for your support. If you send along a one-time donation, you can request uh, one of the ebooks I've listed at support.greatdetectives.net, including All I Needed to Know I Learned from Dragnet and All I Needed to Know I Learned from Columbo, as well as my novel Slime Incorporated. Also, with a donation of $100 or more, we'll happily send you uh, either Poirot's Finest Cases or more Poirot's Finest Cases. Also, if you're in the U.S. or Canada and you send along a donation of $100 or more, I'll be happy to send you one of our Great Detectives of Old Time Radio t-shirts. We have the regular uh, Great Detectives uh, t-shirt, and we also have our... Uh, Johnny Dollar 70th Anniversary t-shirt and our Joe Friday Never Said Just the Facts Ma'am t-shirt. Uh, and all of those available with a donation of $100 or more. A full list of available items are at support.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for us to bring you an episode of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And this is an episode that fills a small gap uh, because this was from a time when most of the Sherlock Holmes episodes are circulating. Uh, there were periods, uh, there's just a handful of the pre-Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes episodes out there. And about 90% uh, of the Rathbone Bruce episodes during World War II are not in circulation. However, the post-war seasons were pretty good. And prior to uh, this past year, there were only two episodes in the four seasons, uh, with each season being 39 episodes that were missing. So there were 154 out of 156 episodes in circulation. Well, with today's episode, there are 155 out of 156, as this is the only missing episode from the 
uh, John Stanley run, uh, which originated from New York, or Clipper Craft Close. This was towards the end of the 1947-48 radio season. Original air date, April 25th, 1948, and this is the return of the Jack of Diamonds. <laughs> From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's immortal character, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Tonight's story, The Return of the Jack of Diamonds. Well, hello, Dr. Watson. Seems like today, spring is really here. All the windows open, why, you can just smell things growing. Mm. <laughs> this just possible that part of that aroma comes from the crushed mint in the garden on this tray. Yeah, help yourself, Mr. Harris. I thought the weather called for something long and tall and frosty. Well, thank you. I must say this is a pleasant surprise, Doctor. Yes, I also thought tonight's story might appropriately be, uh, what is it you call it, a... Uh, uh, oh, yes, a chiller diller. So I decided I'd tell you about a, a ghostly highwayman who returned after many centuries to hold up a stagecoach on Hampstead Heath. It was one of those eerie... Hey there, Dr. Watson. Whoa, slow down a minute now. Don't forget we're supposed to just sort of mention something else that's kind of appropriate this bird season. If I do, of course. You mean Clippercroft, lightweight, skin and summer clothing. But I, I have my eye on a certain new tan outfit myself. <laughs> Rate your buying new suits, Dr. Watson. Uh, you wouldn't be planning a trousseau. No, no, but at the rate Clippercroft charges, I can finally afford all the clothes I'd like to have. How right you are, Dr. Watson. The Clippercraft plan makes it unnecessary for you to pay high prices for clothes of high quality. We've built one of the great names of America by sticking to our guns, by insisting that you get the world's most outstanding value in every Clippercraft you buy. All this despite rising costs of manufacturing materials and labor. Now, many have asked, how do they do it? Well, the famous Clipper-Craft plan is the answer, concentrating the buying power of 1,036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast. A carefully planned operation that makes you the gainer by ensuring distribution and manufacturing savings the whole year round. That's why you can buy beautifully tailored Clipper-Craft suits for only 40 and $45. Top coats and fine coverts and worsted gabardine for only forty and forty-five dollars. Smart tropicals only thirty-three seventy-five to forty dollars, and sport jackets for only twenty-six fifty. Only comparison will prove what this means in money saved on your spring clothing budget. Yes, compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now back to our chiller dealer, Dr. Watson, and the highwayman who appeared on Hampstead Heath. Let me see. It was one evening in the latter part of the week. Holmes and I were celebrating a decidedly rare event. Uh, which was? Just the previous day, I had picked myself a winner. The race was the Gold Cup at Ascot. The horse was a silly named Fabulous Penny. And Holmes and I were having a bit of a celebration at Jack's Horse Castle, which is an old coaching inn which still exists on Hampstead Heath. Uh, look, isn't that the tavern Dickens frequented and wrote about? It is indeed. Well, Holmes and I were sitting in the courtyard over our after-dinner brandy. We were watching the daylight fade and the lights of London come creeping on in the hazy distance below. 
Just the aroma of two excellent cigars flowed around us in a delicate smoking window. Who would believe that such a completely bucolic, not to say wild and rustic spot, would lie so close to a great metropolis? Oh, you might almost believe you were on some deserted heath in the north country. Well, actually, Hampstead Heath, my dear Watson, is a public area of approximately 869 undulating acres. The flagstaff on the hill immediately ahead marks the highest point on the heath. 445 feet above sea level, to be exact. Commands of view which include 10 counties. Hello, who's this coming across the Carrying a smallish piece of paper in his hand. Yes, the hand shaking. And what ails him? Oh, probably palsy. The fine hostess took our order. The slip of paper's probably our bill. And well, I do think he might have let us quietly sit for a moment. No, I hardly think that paper's our bill. There's nothing about that to occasion his worried frown and improperly buttoned whiskers. The third button's in the fourth buttonhole. <laughs> so it is, my dear. I never even saw it. You saw it right enough, my dear Watson. Well, it didn't you? Pardon me, but they've just informed me that one of you gentlemen is Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the detective. And my friend has that distinction. Oh, sir, I, I wonder if you could help me. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know whether I should warn Sir Harry and get myself dressed down proper for being a ninny, or whether I should let him ride across the heath to his death, maybe. Tossed on the horns of a dilemma, eh? Yes, sir, at least. I'm all of a dither, if that's what you mean. What exactly has caused this perturbation? Well, sir, it was last night. We was uh, closing up a bit late. It was after midnight when me and old Timothy made the round, locking the doors and making sure the windows were shut tight. A sensible precaution, very eh, Holmes. Don't interrupt, one. I'd just blown out the lamp in the bar when suddenly I felt Timothy freeze onto my arm like a woman that felt a mouse run over her foot. He was so scared he could hardly speak. Just pointed out the bay windows. I looked, and there I saw a man ride into the courtyard like the devil was after him. Horse and rider was both black as night, and the horse's hoofs struck sparks from the cobblestone. Not an unusual phenomenon. Yes, sir, but it wasn't the sparks that set Timothy's feet to scattering. It was the way the man was dressed. We got a good look at him when he threw rain at the old well and come a-striding up the porch. Oh, sir, look at him. He's got boots above his knees and a back tape cleared down to the ground and a big hat with a feather in it and he's carrying a lantern. No, he's coming this way. No, he stopped at the top step of the porch. He's hammering something to one of the posts. Something about him makes me blood run cold. Now he's raising his lantern to look at his handiwork. The light shines in his eyes. Good Lord, he's wearing a mask. Never mind a mask. Look at the lantern. It's a human skull. No, heaven help us. It's Jack a lantern himself. Come back to Auntie. <laughs> With that, Mr. Holmes, he strolled back to his horse and rode off into the night. Who in thunder is Jack-o'-lantern? My dear Watson, Jack-o'-lantern was a notorious highwayman who held up mail coaches and the like on Hampstead Heath of the late 17th century. A human skull with a bit of tallow candle inside was his trademark. That's right, Mr. Holmes. They finally caught him red-handed, they did, and hung him high on a tippet on Flagstaff Hill there. 
hung him there and left him till his bones rotted. How jolly. Yes, sir. And now they say you can still hear his hook come pounding along the high road whenever there's a death on the knee. Ever seen or heard this uh, apparition before? Seen him? No, sir. This was the first time ever. But heard him? Well, maybe sometimes I have when the wind howls across the east. There's plenty of things to be heard on the east at night, Mr. Any idea why he came in here and hammered on the pillar of your porch? Oh, yes, sir. He was uh, nailing up a message to this paper. If you step over into the light of this window, you can read what it says. Interesting. Paper is an ancient bit of parchment, right enough. Script and language also in character. Never mind the deduction, though. What does it say? Let no coach cross the heath this fortnight, lest its passenger forfeit his heart's desire. There's no signature. No, sir, but this year was fixed with the same nail, like it was a sort of uh, calling card. Right, sir. Deck of diamonds. Jack Lantern left the Jack of Diamonds as identification, eh? Um, that could be a significant Watson. What's this coat of arms on the back of the card? Oh, that's Sir Alip Leverage's coat of arms. He was knighted here before last year. He bought the Marbury Mansion that's up the Spaniards Road, past the inn they call the Spaniards. The Marbury's have all died off, so he took over their coat of arms as well. Mm, yes, the design is interesting, not to say instructive. I should enjoy examining the rest of the pack. You'd have to go to Marbury Mansion for that, Mr. Ounce. They do say he's got that coat of arms all over the place. On the silver and the linen, and even on the butter patty. I see. You think Sir Harry would be at home tonight if Dr. Watson and I were to pay him a call? Oh, no, sir. He'll not be getting back to Mascot till late tonight. Always drives to the races in that old coach and four he's bought off the Kenwood estate. Well, by Jove, of course, Sir Harry Blivery. I was wondering why that name sounded familiar. Oh, Mr. Harry Beveridge is the owner of the horse, I bet on. That's right, sir. Won the gold cup, then, it is. This is the first winner he's had. And I think it should be Mr. David's prize racehorse. Sir, that he loved almost as much as he loved Sir Harry's daughter. He broke his heart when he lost it. He was drunk for three days after he had it. You say he'd lost the horse? That's exactly what he means. At cards, he lost it. Sir Harry do like his game of busy, and any young man that comes a court in the Lady Alice has to play cards with her father. It's an expensive pastime, court in Lady Alice. I think it's Sir Harry's luck is generally good. Good, Mr. Holmes. It couldn't be better if he'd sold his soul to the devil. I think it's young, uh, what is his name? Johnny David, sir. He owns David Alice. Down the other way, North End Road. A mile past the bull and bush. I think it's young David that wasn't so good. Oh, no, sir. He lost everything he could lay hands on to Sir Harry. Luckily, the estate is entailed, or he'd have lost David out as well. None of us thought he'd ever wake up any. Oh, I guess he must have been gone on Lady Ellie's, all right. Did she return the compliment? They say she did. But she's pretty much under her father's thumb. And now that Johnny David's been forbidden the house, her father's gone and announced her engagement to a French Viscount. Forbidden the house? Yes, sir. The last time Johnny Devitt was at Marbury Mansion playing physique with Sir Ellie, it ended in a frightful row. Sir Ellie had Mr. Devitt shown to the door, and then he locked up his cards in the desk in the gun room and had them placed in. How many coaches crossed the heap in a fortnight? Why, uh, 
There ain't any in use in these parts anymore, but there is, Mr. Holmes. And that's only when he drives off to some big shooting. Well, then the message was obviously meant for him, Mr. Hello. Here comes a large lumbering conveyance up Heath Street now. That will be Sir Harry's coat and coat. Oh, dear. How will I ever break it to him that a ghost has left him a letter? Suppose you let me tell him the bad news. With pleasure, Mr. Holmes, sir. If you'll excuse me, I'd best go and get out my pewter mug. Sir Harry always stops for his mug of ale, and he won't bring out of nothing but him. <laughs> Just because they had his conveyance and he'd come swooping along the road, Holmes. Uh, I must say, there's something dashed elegant about a coach and four. <laughs> Even the old coaching horse. Yes. I was just considering the road he must take to reach his so-called mansion. Jack Straw's castle, as this tavern is called, is rather strategically situated, Watson. For at this point, the main road divides. The left-hand branch, called Spaniard's Road, which is the one he must take, crosses the most desolate part of the heath. It's also over rising ground which means the progress of the coach will be slowed down. Well, obviously. North End Road, on the other hand, which is the other branch, goes to the right over gradually falling ground. City can't take that one. Oh, but it would be considerably out of his way. There's no connecting road you can drive a coach over. Put the situation in a nutshell, Watson. Here comes Sir Harry. Welcome, Sir Harry. Welcome. Will you step inside and refresh yourself? And wash down this confounded dust if there's something fit to drink. Come along, Ellis. We'll be with you. They cannot see me. It's better learn. Hello. There comes another customer. A horseman riding up the North End Road. He's hell on leather, as they say in the States. You don't suppose he's... The notorious jack-o'-lantern? Calm yourself, Watson. His costume is quite up to date. Father, wait a minute. Please. Someone's riding up the road. I, I think it's... If it's that young scoundrel Devitt, I forbid you to speak to him. I will take her in the house. But, Father... Do as they say. Give me long, Jerry. Ah, Sir Harry. They said you were expected. Well, here I am, Devitt. What do you want? My horse. I want to buy Fanny back. I got the money. Pawned everything I had to bet on her, and I won. I got the hundred pounds right here. You said I could have her back if I paid the money I lost. <laughs> My dear boy, that was before she won the cup. A hundred pounds? She's worth twenty times that to me now. <laughs> no, no, you'll never be able to buy her back, I'm afraid. But if you like, I'll let you see the cup she won for me. You go to the <laughs> devil. <laughs> no love lost between them, eh, Quiet. Harry's coming over here. Now there, you there, with the tall, spindle legs, standing by the window. I understand some fantastic character is supposed to have nailed a message for me to the doorpost. Quite. There it is, Sir Harry. Let's have a look. The parchment is the proper vintage. So is the script. And the fellow was dressed like a certain famous highwayman, complete the mask and the skull lantern. Gentlemen, it takes more than a Halloween masquerade to frighten Harry Bleverin. All the same, I wouldn't advise you to cross the heat tonight. Save your advice, sir. I've never paid any heed to anonymous messages. This message was not unsigned, Sir Harry. The horseman left a card to identify himself. It's his card, eh? I said a card, not his card. It was the knave of diamonds, commonly called the Jack. Jack? Yes. Jack of diamonds, did you say? Does that mean anything to you, Sir Harry? No. Of course not. I shouldn't. Ridiculous, sir. What do you think? Where is my friend? Sir Harry needs a friend. Why do you suppose he got so upset when you mentioned the Jack and I'm not sure, Watson, but I have a rather definite suspicion. Yes, I saw two bicycles just outside the kitchen entrance. wonder if our innkeeper could persuade the staff to let us borrow them. Oh, why bicycles this time of night? I think a ride on the heath is indicated, Watson. 
Yes, if we're lucky, we may just possibly be witness to an old-fashioned hold-up. When you insist on Clippercraft clothes, you're protected all along the way. You're buying truly fine clothes for considerably less money than you ever believed possible. A miracle? No, it's just American manufacturing ingenuity, combined with good old-fashioned common sense. Clippercraft's remarkable values are the result of the unique Clippercraft plan, the plan that concentrates the buying power of 1036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast and makes values like these available in your own favorite local store, the store you can trust. Here they are. Superbly tailored Clippercraft suits for only $40 and $45. Top coats and fine covert and worsted gabardine for only $40 and $45. Sport jackets for only $26.50. And smart tropicals for only $33.75 to $40. Yes, selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits, pop coats, sport jackets, and tropicals. In Manhattan, John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Presky Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. And now back to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, who are bicycling along a moonlit road. The drawing is not too smooth. Oh, why is it cycling over? Seems to be up two hills to everyone you go down. Save your breath, Watson, till you reach the top of the next rise. Oh, I don't know how you manage, Holmes. Confound it, I always have to get up and walk the sleeping of the last few too much of a Dupuy and too little leg muscle, Watson. Yes, this is the best spot for the show, I imagine. The road falls away on both sides. Yeah, let me hide the bicycle behind the bushes. No, 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 not in the bushes, Watson. Behind. We may want to use them again in a hurry. Someone's riding down the road to meet us. But Watson, down behind his head. He's coming like a bat out of hell. He has to, Watson. He expects to keep his running. Yes. Now he's reined in his horse. Waiting in the shadow of that large tree. Ha! Huh. He's putting on his cloak. A large cool hat. A mask. Oh, you have eyes like a cat. I can't see a clear thing in this shadow. It's very natural. Exactly a lantern. It's a skull. And his jack o' lantern. You're a reasonable facsimile thereof. Yes, look down the road in the other direction. Here come the rest of the dramatist person, being brought to the scene of our little drama, and Sir Harry's cook. That man's the lantern. Aren't you going to stop him? Stop him from what, Watson? If you look closely, you'll notice he has two ancient but nonetheless effective pistols in his belt. I have no desire to stop a 17th century leaden bullet. Here comes the coach up the hill. Yes. It's slowing down. Yes, my guess was correct. This spot should prove better than a stage box. The man with the lantern. He's coming out of the shadow. He's riding to meet the coach. Halt, or I fire. He's grabbed the lead horse by the driver. Halt, I say. Ah, that's better. 
Now then, Sir Harry, you'll step down out of that coach and bring the gold trophy with you. No, no, leave the lady behind. Look out, this is robbery! It's not so amusing when one is the victim, eh, Sir Harry? But is it a witness? Shut up, you idiot. Don't stand between me and this cup. You value your help. No, no, sir. I did not realize she was hiding behind me. If you not find that pistol that me, it might go off. Now then, Sir Harry, the Here it is in this box. Confound it. You'll open the lid so I can see inside. Very well. There. Wait, wait till I turn my lantern round. Yes, that's it, right enough. Yes, it's Jack. Confound it, give me the cup. Oh, Sir Harry's been shot. You'd better go to his assistant. Nonsense, Watson. The old boy's not hurt, just frightened. He fell flat on the ground where the pistol went off by mistake. Yes, I think our young highwayman was feeling rather more nervous than he let on. And now he's gone back up the road toward the Spaniards' in. Yes, the other way would have been quicker, of course, but at least he had the good sense to keep up the pass. Holmes, what are you blithering about? No time for explanations, Watson. You called Sir Harry back into the carriage. Now they're driving off up the road. Hurry, Watson. Get out the bicycles. We must recover the gold trophy cup before it's too late. But confounded, Holmes, you deliberately let the man get away. At the rate he was riding, we'll never catch up with him. On the contrary, Watson, by pedaling like mad back in the direction we came from, we may just possibly head him off. Oh, another rut. For Holmes, this north end road is as uneven as the other. Here up, Watson. We've reached our destination. Here's the gate to Mr. Devitt's estate. Yes, I think we'll go the rest of the way on foot. Oh, very well. As a matter of fact, walking would be a pleasant change. Devitt's house is dark. The match of the young Devitt returned home hours ago. Ah, but did he stay home? You don't by any chance suspect that young Mr. Devitt is Jack a lantern? Quite preposterous. Why? Well, for one thing, you saw him ride away from Jack's horse castle down this road. And where did the highwayman appear from? From beyond the Spaniards in on the other road. And he was coming towards us. The two roads are almost at right angles to each other, and there's no connecting road between them. A clever horseman can make his way along a footpath, Watson. There's a little known footpath across the heath, which runs between the Bull and Bush Inn and the Spaniard's Tavern. There's a house of dark houses, and a light over there under the stable wall. I'm Good evening, Mr. Devitt. Uh, isn't it rather late in the evening to be indulging your interest in ornithology? Raises are you. Why are you trespassing on my property? Allow me to present myself. I am Sherlock Holmes. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. What's that got to do with me? We've come to relieve you of tonight's duty. I don't know what you're talking about. I dear Mr. Devitt, your own disguise is very neat. Don't you think it was rather stupid of you not to disguise your horse? Even the Lady Alice recognized him when your lantern shone on his white forehead. I rather think you realized the jig was up when she called you by name. The rest of your intimates may call you John or Johnny. Lady Alice, you'll always be Jack. Right? Uh, so she left the cat out of the bag. Well, I'm not going to give him back his stupid cup. It's mine by rights. He didn't win my horse, Fanny, honestly, Mr. Holmes. I realize it later. He plays physique with marked cards, eh? Hence the Jack of Diamonds. That's right. Just the same, I think it would be wise to let me return the cup. Never. I'll never give it back to him. Not if he agrees to give you something you want in return. Say, your horse or his daughter. You don't know him. He'll never do that. You might be surprised at my persuasive power, Devitt. 
Yes, I suggest Dr. Watson and I pay a call on the gentleman after breakfast tomorrow and take along that birdcage. Mr. Holmes, the butler just told me you've come to see Father about the missing gold cup. Yes, Lady Alice, I think you can promise to recover it for you. Oh, but please, you mustn't. You mustn't ever know who took it. Mr. Holmes, I, I just can't bear it if anything happens to Mr. Jack? I mean, uh, Jack O'Lantern, of course. Or should we say Jack O'Diamond? I have here a solitaire in things to fit the proper finger. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I want him so much. I can't accept... Oh, fiddle saddle, just put it on and leave the rest to Sherlock Holmes. What's going on here? Tell me you're Sherlock Holmes. Right. Dr. Watson and I have come this morning to interest you in a bird. A lovely golden bird. It's here in this cage. Bird? Yes. Who's hated bird? A squawk. Not this one. Its name is Jack. Jack of Diamond, let me say. I don't know what you're talking about, uh, can I take a look at the animal? In the gun room. Very well. Very well, this way. In here. After you, Sir Harry. That's better. Now that we're alone, Watson, I think you may uncover the bird cage. Right, sir. There they are. little golden canary, eh, Sir Harry? It's the cup. Yes, the cup. Where did you find it? Dr. Watson and I are returning it to you. The compliments of Mr. John Derrick. Oh, thinks he can soften me up, does he? Well, he can take a game. I have here another little token of Mr. Derrick's scheme. The name of Diamond, with your coat of arms on the back. A marked card. Smoked the third heat here on this tree boy. He did it. He took it away with him the last time he was here. He had plenty of time and opportunity to do anything he pleases to that card. Possibly, but he couldn't have marked the other knave on the two queens of Spain, which, unless I'm very much mistaken, are in the locked upper drawer of that desk. Will you unlock it, Sir Harry? Or shall I have Dr. Watson take it over? You win, Mr. Holmes. I... Well, I do like to play cards, and I do like to win. It's a habit I suggest you give up from now on. And as regards the horse, Fanny... Yes, you're, you're, you're right, Mr. Holmes. After all, I, I didn't tell the lad he could buy her back. I'm not I... suggesting you sell Fanny to Mr. Derrick, Sir Harry. I'm assuming you'll want to give it to him. As a wedding present. It's blackmail! I won't do it! Oh, but you will, sir. Society may condone your sharp practices in the business world, but never forgive you for cheating at cards. You win, Mr. Holmes. And you will, of course, give up the cards. If you insist. Uh, I suppose we have one last game. We enjoy having you in the corner. You only think so, sir, Harry. No one ever wins. Oh, I must say this is most undignified, Holmes. You are just on one horse. Well, I thought we ought to escort Fanny safely back to Mr. Devitt. I should have thought, after all the peddling you did yesterday, riding pillion would be a relief. Oh, there's one thing about this whole affair I still don't understand, Holmes. It's the business about the knave of diamonds. The combination of the Queen of Spades and the Jack of Diamonds rates rather high in the game of physique. Sir Harry won Fanny from her owner by a double physique, which is both spade kings and diamond knaves. Rather rare and counts 500 points. Hello, what's wrong with the animal? Fanny's just realized she's headed for home. Hold on, Watson. She wants to go. 
Certainly an active adventure for you and Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson. It was indeed, Mr. Harris. I was battle swore for a week after. I never knew whether to blame Fanny or the confounded practice. And now, how about giving us a hint about next week? Next week? Oh, yes, next week. Suppose I tell you how I developed a violent dislike for Fanny. And I had a personal encounter with art animated Professor Moriarty. In which I flatter myself, I, I came up rather well. I call it the adventure of the sinister fate of The makers of Clippercraft clothes and 1036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanton, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Meiser. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lockwood, with special music by Albert Berber. You don't know your Clippercraft dealer. Write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next Sunday to Sherlock Holmes in The Adventure of the Sinister Crate of Cabbage. In just 25 seconds, you'll hear Melvin Elliott's news report. Welcome back. Well, this was an episode it probably didn't take Sherlock Holmes to solve. I think there were a lot of clues as to who uh, did it with what we had learned about the man who was uh, targeted by Jack-O-Lantern, such as his proclivity for cards and his reaction uh, to the Jack of Diamonds itself. However, what this episode does portray is that in several cases, Sherlock Holmes approached the case with his own particular sense of justice, and rather than involving the official police, kind of enforced his own solution. And I think this is definitely something believable that Holmes would do in this particular case. So other than the mystery being a little simple, I thought this was pretty well done. I hope that uh, you enjoyed it. And that is actually the last uh, of the John Stanley episodes not in circulation. The only episode missing from the 1945 to 48 run is a Tom Conway episode, which I think was uh, from uh, the New Year's Week era. So who knows, maybe that will emerge. But it's always fun to have a visit with Sherlock Holmes. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. Angie writes, I'm enjoying the great shows. Do you have access to Mike Barnett with two T's starring Ralph Bellamy? Uh, one of those uh, I remember. Uh, my best, uh, Angie. Angie, I know what you're talking about, and uh, I believe you're talking about uh, 
Man Against Crime, uh, also known as Follow That Man, which starred Ralph Bellamy as Mike Barnett. And that was a TV show, most of which is in the public domain, and I really do enjoy the TV series. It's one of those great, uh, well, not great, but really fun uh, early 1950s uh, detective TV shows, which really feel like natu uh, natural successors to the old-time radio programs. But there wasn't a uh, old-time radio uh, program uh, with Mike Bellamy playing a detective, as far as I can tell. Uh, because in addition uh, to uh, uh, playing uh, Mike Barnett on television, he, uh, Ralph Bellamy also played Ellery Queen in several movies on the silver screen. So I think he would have been a really good radio detective. Uh, and I don't know why it didn't happen, but I would definitely lo uh, love that if that had occurred somehow, but I'm not aware of any episodes. Uh, all of the stuff that he was in, uh, when I checked through the Radio Gold Index, uh, which indexes you know various radio stars uh, just shows a you know wide variety of different dramatic and comedic programs as for the tv shows uh, we do try to have them tie in uh, for public domain video theater in some way to uh, what we're doing with the radio uh, programs and if we can't find something that uh, ties in we've been going to sherlock holmes as a default uh, you know, until we get through that series, and we're only, I think, three or four episodes into that. Uh, but I'll keep, uh, I'll keep that in mind. Man Against Crime, uh, Follow That Man, uh, which is the syndicated saddle, whichever one uh, you want to call it, it was a really good show. Uh, and thanks so much for mentioning it, Angie. Lou sends along just a great keep it up note. And Gary sends a note, I enjoy the podcast. Well, thank you so much for your encouragement and your support of the program. And uh, I do want to let uh, listeners know you can uh, send along a donation to support.greatdetectives.net and other options that are listed there. And if you do send in a donation of $25 or more, I'll happily send you one of the Colonial Radio Theater audio dramas. There are some great ones uh, in the mystery genre, including several sets of Father Brown, uh, several uh, Perry Mason adaptations, as well as some great adventure stories, including King Solomon's Mines and uh, Zorro. A full list of available thank you gifts are at support.greatdetectives.net. I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. I want to thank Neil. Neil's been one of our Patreon supporters since September 2016, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Neil. Well, that will wrap up today's episode. Uh, join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And next Wednesday and Thursday, be sure and listen for the premiere of The Man Called X and Raffles. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. Signing off.